HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd. I'm your host today, Jessica Kesselman, and today I'm joined by Jesse Dowling, owner and operator of Fuzzy Utter Creamery in the Sheepscot Valley of the state of Maine. Jesse is also one of the people behind Maine Milk Mavens, a wholesale cheese distribution business. Jesse, thank you for joining us on Cutting the Curd. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I've, I've been a fan of the show for a long time. Thanks. I'm so glad to hear that. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of what's happening up in Maine. I've had the honor and pleasure of trying some cheeses from some of the creameries up there that we don't really get to see down here very often. So I'm really excited for you to give us a really good idea of what's happening way up there (laughs) in in the north. Um, So why don't you tell us about Fuzzy Utter Creamery? Sure. Well, I started Fuzzy Utter Creamery um, at another farm in 2011 and kind of built my first tiny little 7 by 17 cheese room in Unity, uh, Maine um, in 2012. And then I ended up moving to a farm that I bought in 2013 in Whitefield, Maine. And that's the Sheepskit uh, Valley. It's beautiful rolling hills. Um, I've been there for, uh, it'll be 10 years in December and um, been milking sheep and goats this whole time, and I buy in cow's milk, and I'm actually transitioning now into buying in all the milk. Um, Next year will be the first year that I don't milk. That's kind of a new thing um, to try to focus on um, just getting our recipes really nailed in and um, just making the best cheese that we can. I have a staff of about eight folks that help me on the farm, and um, Yeah, we buy in really nice organic Jersey cow's milk from a farm in Palmiston called Grace Pond Farm. And they actually supply a handful of cheesemakers in our area, um, which is one of the many ways that uh, Maine farmers and cheesemakers are very collaborative. So we have listeners 
um, definitely across the country. We have some in uh, other continents. And I was hoping you could also give us a, like if, if you were to describe what um, the valley is like and the area where you live is, because um, I think for, for some, and I know for me until I actually traveled in Maine, it's um, like, I know, like I get to Portland and then I go beyond Portland. I know, you know, the further North you go, the less there is. In fact, once I made a wrong turn, I ended up at a at a, a toll. I was going to visit a friend who went to Bates College and I, I went the wrong way and I ended up at a, um, like a, yeah, it was like a toll booth. And the guy was like, do you know where you're going? Cause if you go through here, there's nothing beyond this point. And I was like, obviously in the wrong place. So it definitely, you know, gets, um, a little bit, uh, more rural than I, think people um, can envision. Like, so where are you exactly in Maine? And what's it like? Um, what are the communities like around you? Yeah, sure. So so we're actually really central, um, which makes um, the, the wholesale distribution company that we started, Maine Milk Mavens, uh, make so much sense. Because uh, we're actually 20 minutes east of Augusta, which is our state capital. And we are in every direction. We have creameries in all directions. Like there are creameries everywhere, just a really big dairy area. Um, so it's, we're half an hour from the coast, the, there's a sea town called, uh, Damascata that's about half an hour from us. So we've got, you know, seagulls in our fields on, uh, wet days. Um, but it's also, you know, inland. So it's, it's kind of a cool kind of in between the woods and the sea, um, location. Um, I think mid coast Maine is a really magical place. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just like rolling open fields and we have definite four seasons, definitely cold winters, which um, there are not as many people in the winter as there are in the summer. We're, we're very much a tourist economy. Um, but I think you'll find that people who, who live here don't find it as desolate as um, as people from away. Um, I, I, I find it, you know, we have a town of like 2000 people, but it feels it doesn't feel like sparse or lonely to me, but maybe that's just because I'm used to it. And um, so getting back to fuzzy udder specifically, so um, what cheese, what kind of cheeses are you making? I saw on your website also you've got some some really great names of your yeah. cheeses too. Yeah, so all of our all of our 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 cheeses are weather themed because I, I used to do a little bit of activism in my earlier days and I was working on a lot of climate change things and kind of looking at the intersections of agriculture and climate change and I was very passionate about that. So they all got weather themed. So one of our one of our best cheeses that won an award at ACS in 2017 is Tempest. It's a tome style cheese, um, but we also have people get a little confused because we've got. Um, uh, Whirlwind, which is the sheep and goat blended um, ash ripened cheese, kind of like the Humboldt Fog. But we also have Windchill, which is the goat version. And then we have Windswept, which is a sheep and goat, um, kind of like a Pyrenees style um, hard aged cheese. Um, and then, yeah, we've got some other weather terms. Um, but we make uh, four different aged cow's milk cheeses and uh, a couple different goat sheep uh, aged cheeses. And we do a lot of soft ripened cheeses. Um, one of our popular names is Small Craft Advisory. Um, which makes people laugh. <laughs> um, and then our, our, um, our bestseller is Waldo Smog, which is our, um, it's our ash ripens cow's milk cheese. Of course, it's kind of a pun on Humboldt Fog. Right. Waldo, Waldo is the name of the county that we were first in. We're now in Lincoln County, but Lincoln Fog didn't, Lincoln Smog didn't sound as good as Waldo Smog. So. And, um, and you were, you were talking about how you're, um, 
you're kind of you're about to go through a major transition it sounds like um by bringing all the milk in can you tell us a little bit more about that well i'm in the process of buying a, a, another farm so we will own two farms one will be where the cheese making is and then one will be where the animals are but i'm taking a year i've been doing cheese making for about 17 years and i'm actually taking kind of like a I like the dairy part the best, but I'm taking a year off of milking kind of just for personal reasons. And I kind of want to see what happens. So I'm not getting rid of my dairy goats or my dairy sheep um, because I'm really passionate about dairy sheep, especially. Um, And then I've always been with goats. So I love goats. Um, But actually my other life is um, I'm really into horsemanship and horseback riding and I'm training for an extreme uh, horse race next year. So I'm just taking a break from the milking so that I can train for um, the Mongol Derby. So well, okay. It's just kind of a weird thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Well, we we have to make sure to make a note of that and have you back because I definitely need to learn more about <laughs> what that is. <laughs> that sounds fascinating. Yeah. But um, yeah. But I um, I are you seasonal? Uh, yeah. So we we're seasonal, but it's a it's a long season. So goats have a ten month lactation, so we kind of pick it to that. So right. we 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 generally lamb and kid in March and then milk from then until December. And so we buy in the cow's milk as well, March through December. Uh Um, And then January and February, we don't make cheese. And it's really nice for us because we need some off time because our summers are really intense because the tourism industry really, really peaks our, our busyness. And we're really trying to make most of the money um, for the year in a five month window instead of a 12 month window. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get that. Especially as we're entering Q4, a lot of, uh, I feel like, you know, a lot of producers kind of see, you know, certain peaks and uh, take advantage advantage as much as they can yep. during those times of year. And then, um, and then the sheep, how long is your sheep milking season? The, the sheep lactation is, is shorter. And I've actually found that I've just enjoyed doing a little bit of a shorter like I'll dry them off a little earlier than I could. Like we, they'll lamb out in March and then we'll go, we can go sometimes until October or November, but I, I actually like to dry them off in August just because they start to lose their production. And I find that that's when we have a lot of events that we're getting ready for. Like um, we have a main cheese festival in September and then the common ground fair. So um, I like to not milk sheep in September because we have too many events. Um, so I'm trying to balance, you know, I've got the, the, the dairy herd that I'm very passionate about. Um, and interested, I'm very into the breeding program as well. Uh, but then I have the cheese making and then we have the distribution and selling. So um, trying to juggle three businesses basically. So sometimes I will prioritize one over the other um, to be efficient, I guess. Right, right. So what do you think, um, what do you think it is about Maine that is so conducive to farming and cheese making? Um, like whether it be the the weather, the environment or the economy, or maybe there's something you can say about each one of those. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. One is um, the way the land is set up is that it's kind of small. It's it's made for very small parcels. So, you know, you'll see a lot of cow dairies that are, you know, 50 head or less, you know, and, and in my case, you know, I've, I've milked anywhere between 12 and 50 goats and sheep. Um, so it's really small scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, I think the biggest thing that you'll you'll see in Maine is that our barriers for getting into the industry are lower than any other state. Um, you see farmers becoming licensed cheesemakers in Maine without having to spend as much money as they would for a licensed facility in other states. And that's because we are illegally allowed to produce um, cheese for sale in 
um, equipment that is not a pasteurizer. So okay. we're, we're allowed to heat treat our milk, which is the same thing as pasteurization. It's a hundred, it's over 145 degrees for half an hour, uh, for cheeses age, age less than 60 days. Um, but what we can prove to our dairy inspectors that we have a thermometer that they check regularly and that we check the time on that and that we're stirring constantly through that period. Um, and because of that, because we don't need, um, you know, 40,000, dollar piece of equipment. Um, it's not that expensive to build a licensed creamer. I've done it on a budget a couple times. Um, I now have a pasteurizer because I've been in business for a while. Um, but for the first say eight years, I, I didn't own any fancy equipment. I had a steam kettle that I converted. Um, I paid, I think, well, the woman I used to work for bought it for me for like 150 bucks from another creamery. So, um, yeah, the barrier to get in to cheese making in Maine is, is, is low. So you see a lot of middle-class um, folks getting into cheese making. It's not just something that you would need um, a big uh, income to start out. Right, right. And then uh, the um, the local economy is, um, do you find you have a lot of uh, local outlets or, um, you know, uh, commerce channels to support this growing industry within the state? Absolutely. So Maine is really strong with its local food movement. And I, I think nothing shows that better than what happened during the pandemic, um, you know, at a time when everyone was worried about being able to keep their businesses going. Uh, Maine farmers saw the biggest boost in sales that we have ever seen. Uh, because when people started to think about where to get their food from, they went to Maine food. And and I think that the the people in Maine really care about local food and they definitely voted with their dollar during the pandemic. And we saw record sales in all sectors of agriculture and anyone who could adapt to doing more online sales or do more like changing how they got their stuff to people uh, saw record um, record sales during that time. And I think that just reflects that, um, that, that buying Maine cheese for Mainers is really important. And then you went to uh, high school in Maine, right? Yes. Um, and then you you uh, worked and you studied in a variety of places, um, all with some focus on farming and policy and advocacy. But then you ended up back in Maine. So what was it that pulled you back? Uh, that's a good question. I, I uh, yeah went to school in California and, I, and in England. I studied food policy. Um, and I, I love traveling. I would love to live abroad someday, but I couldn't figure out how to do that. So, um, when I got back from my master's, I kind of traveled around to different, um, different States and kind of tried to figure out where I wanted to be. And Maine always just felt like the right place for me. Um, and I think it's, I think it's that strength of the local food economy. I found the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, which we call MOFCA, um, and I was able to find an apprenticeship program through them, uh, in 2007. And that's where I found, um, Harry Ells, uh, Ells Farm Sheep Dairy and, um, uh, Caitlin Hunter's Appleton Creamery. And that's kind of just where I, where I landed and I never really looked back. And, um, and your current operation kind of sounds like it reflects all of these different interests that you have, the sustainable agriculture and, um, growing, uh, you know, uh, it, a community of farmers that are kind of committed to some of the ideals that that you've you know kind of studied along the way most definitely i've always been interested in in community building intentional communities and and what does that look like on the ground and i think 
you know, I found the Maine Cheese Guild early on with um, with being part of the cheese making community. And one of the things that I think Maine is really well known for, I think we were actually the first cheese guild in the U.S., um, was that Maine Maine cheesemakers work together. We we collaborate on so many things like sharing ideas, sharing equipment, sharing uh, resources, bulk buying, just everything that we can collaborate on, we do. And and that's that really uh, spoke to me, and I really took off with it. So. When you made that leap to cheese making from farming, how did that happen? What was that like? I think, were you at Appleton Creamery? Yeah, I went to Appleton Creamery. That's why I spent five years there learning, learning how to make cheese. And I spent my first season, I was kind of splitting my days between the sheep dairy down the road and the goat dairy. So I kind of fell in love with sheep and goats at the same time. I could never choose one or the other. And now you're... You, there was like, you were gifted some things from that experience, right? Like, oh, so um, much. <laughs> yeah, including goats or was um, it sheep? Or I, was bought, I bought sheep from Perry and then I was gifted goats from Caitlin. Um, and I actually, when, when, when Appleton Creamery closed for, for good last year, I actually took on the rest of their herd. So I, that, that farm is very much kind of where I come from and where my roots are. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, um, I had known of them, um, as well. They had a great reputation. And so, um, and so now how many cheesemakers are there in Maine? I have lost count, but the last time <laughs> I looked, it was around 80. Um, oh my you, you have to talk it's somewhere between 60 and 80. It fluctuates because, you know, there's people getting out of the business, people getting into the business. But I, I knew last time I was, when I was, uh, the president of the Maine Cheese Guild, I, I was up, up until about two years ago, I was running the Maine Cheese Guild and, um, the stats I knew then was, uh, we were only second to Vermont in numbers of cheesemakers and definitely most cheesemakers per capita. I have to say, um, I, I'm fascinated by what you were talking about, um, about the uh, size of the um, the lots being smaller. Like you're not going to see these like herds of like 200, 300 cows um, and such. Uh, that That's really interesting to me because it says a lot about also, um, you know, what, what, what you were saying about who can get in entry into agriculture. Exactly. Yeah. And then, so is the state of Maine, is the relationship with um, like state government and regulators and such um, pretty supportive? It, it's actually phenomenally so. Like I, I really good at relationship with my, with my dairy inspector. And um, I just feel like anytime I have a question about things, they're just so open and easy to work with. And I, I know that's not the case in other states. We're, we're just really lucky. I feel like the state of Maine wants us to succeed as, as cheesemakers and as farmers. And, and, um, right, right now the commission of agriculture is amazing. So we are, we're really lucky. <laughs> you know, like I, you're <laughs> depending on, I mean, we have a good reach, um, of, in our audience of cutting the curd and now there's going to be like a run of cheesemakers or inspiring cheesemakers moving to Maine. Uh, so, um, and then I our did market wanna... is not saturated. So, I mean, we, we, as a, as a distributor need more cheese in Maine. So that is good to know. <laughs> Everyone hear that. Um, and then I did want to just before I forget, before we go to break, I mean, you talked about the location of your, um, of your, uh, farm and you talked about the names of some of your cheeses and definitely like, you know, the ocean and, uh, and such is always, you know, you can't, it can't be far from your brain up there. Um, you have, um, 
you have seaweed as part of your herd's diet. Oh yes, every day I feed kelp. Um, it well, it's called kelp in the. It's like a dried powder, and you buy it in a bag. But it's it's a locally produced um, dried seaweed. I think it's dried rockweed is the actual uh, species of seaweed, but they just call it kelp. Um, and that's a locally yeah, produced it's, it's item. A, I think it's Atlantic Sea Vegetable. Um, right, and they're a local company that we um, that we've been buying from for years. Wow, amazing! Well, um, on that note, when we're going to um, pause for a word from our sponsor, uh, we love our sponsors at Cutting the Curd because they allow us to do what we do, uh, and we will be back with Jesse in just a couple minutes. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. And we're back with Jesse Dowling from Fuzzy Utter Creamery, also of um, the Maine Milk Mavens. And we are talking about Fuzzy Utter Creamery. We're talking about the state of Maine. We're talking about the state of cheese in Maine. And um, let's talk for a second about the, the Maine Milk Mavens. <laughs> Tell us about the center price. How did it come about? And who are the Maine Milk Mavens? Yeah, sure. So um, it was kind of an idea that myself and a couple other cheesemakers had slightly before the pandemic hit, um, where it was kind of a loose thing where um, another creamery called Coppertail Farm, they started getting orders in some of the regions that we were already delivering to, like Bar Harbor, but they didn't have any way of going to Bar Harbor. So we started taking their products. And at first we were just doing it for free because we're their friends and they could get their products to us and we would take them because our creameries are all kind of close to each other. Um, we just are in a location like that. And then we would start taking Appleton Creamery stuff because they're my friends. And then we started taking... Um, there was another creamery called Imaginary Farm that was making cheese at my creamery. And so we were taking their stuff. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, we started to, I was still the the president of the main cheese guild at the time. And so I was really listening to what other cheesemakers were going through. And people were like, we don't feel comfortable leaving our farms that a lot of the cheesemakers were elderly and they were, you know, just the pandemic just really stressed people out, you know, reasonable 
rightfully so. And um, we just felt there was this overwhelming need to start uh, shared distribution. So we actually started um, going to the different creameries and picking up their cheeses on Thursdays and then collating the orders and, and, um, and, and sending them out on, you know, Friday through Sunday across the state. And we are now at uh, 16 main creameries. Um, and we do also some other farm products that people produce like meat or, um, you know, like fiber, if there's anything that that farm produces, we'll sell their, their products. And we went from, you know, it being really informal to then we, we buy the, the products from these farmers and then we market up ourselves. And we, so we, we handle all the sales. Um, we pay the cheesemakers and we collect the money. Uh, so it's a complete, basically it's own distribution, um, business. And we end up buying, uh, refrigerated vans. We definitely use some of the pandemic funding, the EIDL loans and things like that. Uh, we now have three refrigerated vans, um, that are going around the state, um, uh, throughout the week. Um, so yeah, it grew really fast, um, way faster than I had ever thought. And it's really helped our bottom line as a business. It's allowed our, our, our creamery to grow as well. Um, and it, we, the feedback we get from the cheesemakers that we are distributing with, um, is that we're an essential part of, of their business because they're not having to leave the farm as much to, to bring their products all over the state. Right. Right. And, um, you know, it's interesting is that, you know, Portland is like, you know, the you're not you haven't talked a lot about Portland as like being this like the center of like it's really statewide it sounds like it's not the economy is not just I mean we all know Portland it's the city there's you know more it's more accessible because it's further south (laughs) you would be surprised how much local food is being sold all throughout the state we have accounts as far as the Carabasset Valley um there's a a a really wonderful shop if you're ever going skiing at Sugarloaf please stop at the main beer shed um they not only do they have an amazing selection of main beers which is another industry that's awesome in Maine uh but their selection of main cheeses is fantastic um and there are there are some really wonderful retailers in Portland but there are some great ones further south in in uh Kennebunk um, and there are also a lot in Bar Harbor area, um, mm-hmm. which is really far uh, east, and then a lot in the mid coast region. So, and and we even have accounts up in in the Bangor area. Um, so we really are s- servicing the whole state. Um, we don't service Aroostook County, but I wouldn't say never say never. Right, right. You're just getting started. <laughs> no, there doesn't see. It just seems like everything's picking up speed, and, and um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you, you talked about the Maine Cheese Guild um, and um, there's we just missed the Maine Cheese Festival, which was uh, what was that last month or was that in August? Yeah, it, it was September 11th um, and it was it was awesome. The last couple of years have been just so good with the Maine Cheese Festival. And where, where does that take place? It's been taking place in Pittsfield. So I think there's been a concerted effort, I think, of, of Maine cheesemakers and people in the food movement to, to not leave Portland as the central place for foodies. Um, Pittsfield is in the middle of nowhere, for sure. <laughs> it's like an hour north of Augusta. Um, wow. But it's it's got a beautiful uh, fairgrounds. Um, for It's not really a fairgrounds, but it's a park. And um, it's a great place for the festival. There's like a little river, like little stream next to it. And it's just beautiful. And it's not just cheese, right? There's uh, the main cheese festival. It's it's featuring cheese, but there's like bread vendors and uh, fermented food vendors and meat vendors and food trucks. You know, they they make a day out of it. Right, right. And you guys, uh, I saw um, this year there were um, 
you have the the cheese awards yes. and there were over 116 cheeses from 22 creameries. Yes. And the, the best in show was Kennebec Cheesery with their washed, it was an age wash trend cheese. I don't remember the old spec, that cheese. Amazing. Jean Koontz, she's one of our milk mavens, um, uh, cheese makers and her cheeses are fantastic. And you won a few yourself. Yes, we, we did. When when we took over the Appleton Creamery Herd of Goats, we um, took over the Chevin oil recipe that I learned how to make when I was working there for five years. Um, and we felt like we couldn't let that recipe uh, be retired with the creamery. So we took that on. And so, of course, it got first place. And it also got uh, first place at the Big E this year. It's just that recipe that Caitlin Hunter came up with was amazing. And I feel honored to be able to carry that tradition on. And then in both the Big E and the Main Cheese Festival, um, the Main Cheese Festival got second for the Waldo Smog for soft ripened cheeses. And at the Big E, it got a third place. Uh, it's just the ash layered um, soft ripened cheese. Right, right. Do you have a personal favorite? personal favorite uh, cheese that we make yeah um i think i go between the polar vortex which is our blue um and the cyclone which is our washed rind so do you are most of your aged cheeses made with cow's milk uh yes uh the only aged cheese that we make well we have a couple but we don't have them in stock they're because it's hard to get as much of the goat and um cheap milk so we have a small amount of the wind swept which is kind right. of a cheap goat blend but most of most of it's cow's milk we, we can get the largest amount of cow's milk so that's the bulk of what we're doing so when you when you um are in your new place and you're bringing in milk from um you know your partner dairies um is there a cheese uh, style or is, do you is there a cheese that you're dying to make or that you're really look you know that you haven't tried yet that you like to attempt well, I, I, I feel like I've always been trying to make a cheese that reminds me of like the Basque style sheep cheeses, but I feel like ours always falls short of the mark. So I, I don't, I don't have enough sheep to make a lot of hard uh, sheep cheeses. Um, so in years past, I have used um, sheep milk from Misty Brook Farm, but because of the PFAS issue in Maine, they didn't milk sheep this year. Um, so it's a little bit tenuous as to finding a, a source for sheep milk, um, mm -hmm. because I just know for myself, I can't have a herd of sheep big enough to have enough milk to make the amazing sheep milk cheeses that I wish I could make. And, um, have you had a chance to travel out there to, to the Basque region? I or? did. I went there with my family in 2015 and I visited a farm that made Oso Arati and <sighs> in the French side. And I also visited a farm that did a Isabel. Um, but also Arati just like, it just wins my heart. That yeah. cheese, I just love it. It really is. I mean, there's a reason that cheese is endured <laughs> for centuries. It's it's just, I have no idea how they make it. If anyone who's listening to the show knows how to make it and wants to teach me, I would love to learn. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and let me know when that's happening. Cause I, I'm going <laughs> to be a fly on the wall for that one. Um, so, uh, so what do you, what do you think, um, when you look at the future of, um, of the state of Maine and, our, and agriculture in Maine and cheese making, um, you know, is more national exposure and distribution possible? Do you think? So or this is a really good question. This might wow some of uh, the listeners. Um, our, we can make we can sell our cheeses for much more dollars per pound than everyone else out of state can. Huh. So there's a reason why I don't sell out of Maine. Um, 
it is not hard for us to charge in the 20s and 30s dollars per pound to our wholesale accounts. Wow. That they're then marking up again. And so going to a distributor out of state just doesn't make sense. Like if I wanted to sell to a cheese shop in Boston, they're they're going to balk at our prices. They're going to say, why would why would we buy this cheese for $27 a pound when we can buy it for 13? Um, so, so what's happening in Maine is that the market has said, yes, we want Maine cheese so bad that we will pay for it. And, and the other thing is that farmers, because they're not uh, wealthy, uh, you know, they're, they're pricing their cheeses at a price that is what it costs. And, and that's something that as a, as a cheesemaker, you're a small business person and you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I figure out my bottom line? How do I figure out how much all this stuff costs? And we ask our cheesemakers to make sure that when they're giving us a price that they're paying themselves before, you know, giving us a distributor price. Um, and so what our job is, is to, is to really work to sell that cheese to the buyers at the retail locations, whether it's a a food co-op or a restaurant and say, you know, the reason why it's priced so high is because uh, we are paying, you know, we're paying our workers well, we're paying, um, you know, for good quality inputs for our animals. And that makes a difference. I, I am just like, there's like a whole, uh, this whole episode is just kind of showing the way things could be. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the tagline in Maine is the way life should be. So there we go. I mean, how many times do we talk about when we talk about um, food and how much food caught what the real cost of food is in this country um, and um, how much food would cost if we were really paying, you know, for what what it costs the producer to make it or the farmer to grow it and um, and the living wages like to be able to make a living doing that. And in Maine, you're doing it. We're, we're, and, we're trying our damnedest, you know, this is, this right. is, the, this is what the, the real work has been. And, um, it's for so far it's working, you know, we, we often, um, so actually the, the, the I work with a woman uh, named Olivia Barber and she runs all the, the sales and marketing for, for me, Milk Mavens. And, and she, she is constantly not being able to fill the orders that we have, you know, we, Maine doesn't even have enough, you know, we're not making a feta right now to serve the local uh, population. And that's among several uh, feta makers. So there's, there's constantly holes in, in what, um, in what we could be selling versus what we have to offer, especially in the summer. Um, yeah. Cheesemakers are often out of stock of lots of things, including ourselves. And um, that just makes me excited because I think we're going to continue to grow. Yeah. And when we talk about local, you know, eat local, buy local, source local. I mean, there's, it does keep economies alive. It really is about, and it keeps, it keeps um, open spaces open. It keeps, I mean, it just like, it just, there's just like a chain reaction that happens. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So, um, so I do want to talk a little bit about climate change and um, have you seen have you seen some of the um, the the changes in the weather, the more intensity of, of downpours, the um, different you know the different things that have been coming along with climate change? I'm not sure what exactly you're you've been seeing up in Maine. I know where I am, we're seeing actually uh, the water table underneath the groundwater. Um, the ground is wet. It's like we can't. I have I have friends who are farmers who can't 
grow things because there's there's so much water wow. and then and then there's droughts yep. <laughs> like this year was droughts last yep. year there was too much water in the soil so we've, um, we've had a lot of seasonal droughts over the last couple of years in Maine and it and it's been weird because this is not a place that you think of as a as a drought state um, but actually it really affected us this summer um, in that our hay wasn't as good as it normally is and then with our milk supplier um, you know our milk so our goat milk you know, production is down because the hay wasn't as good. Um, and then with our, our cow's milk producer, um, his milk production was down because his hay and his grass was was not growing. Um, so that's been the biggest impact is that during the summer when we need the most milk supply possible so we can make as much cheese so we can sell it to the tourists, um, we were not able to get as much milk out of the animals that we normally can. So definitely the drought um, made a big impact and that's definitely related to climate change. So yes, we are feeling the effects up in Maine. Right. Right. And um, you know, going back to what you were talking about, the cooperation um, with state government agencies, there's also then the university networks, right? Like the yes. extension office. Oh, yeah. and They've right. been super helpful. There's a bunch of contacts at university of Maine and, and cooperative extension that um, have worked with the Maine cheese guild for years. Yeah, I feel like if if it's I feel like those extension networks like if you don't if you don't know, you don't know. Like like <laughs> I feel like I didn't realize just how essential and how wonderful a resource that entire system is um until I became a master gardener. Like and then nice. all of a sudden to find out, you know, when I talk to people you know, whenever they have a question about their lawn or about insects or like what's happening to my garden. I'm like, you know, there's an extension office that like has so many resources available to you for free. Oh, it's, <laughs> like, it's totally true. There's a scientist that's been working with the guild um, that works at cooperative extension of at UMO. And she, um, she did some studies a few years back about, you know, what's the best sanitizer to put your herbs in before you put them in cheese, you know, and we were able to see some really good, um, studies on just, you know, how much bacterial growth comes from different sanitizers. Um, right. or like she did a study about, um, how cold your cheese stays and bacterial growth at markets in a cooler, you know, just, you know, if we're at farmer's market selling our cheese, we want to know, you know, the best practices and things like that. And they've been so helpful in that way. Yeah. And thanks to the internet, you know, I, you know, a, a person in Maine could also be looking at research that was done at an extension office in Utah. Oh yeah. Or I, in Minnesota. I'm always using for like, um, animal, um, like best practices for, for what, uh, how to treat my animals with different, um, health issues. I'm always looking at different States, um, extension. Right. Right. Well, um, so aside from, uh, the climate, uh, challenges, are there any other challenges that you see going forward in Maine? How about affordability? It's, you know, I know we're really struggling with that here in the Hudson Valley. Yeah, there's, there's two things I think that are really hard right now for, for new farmers, the land prices have skyrocketed. So if you don't have access to land right now, getting access to land is a big hurdle. Um, and you're seeing a little bit of, you know, folks being collaborative or finding good lease arrangements, but um, access to land to get started is, is a huge barrier because land is not cheap. Um, oh, well, you guys out of state might think it's cheap, but if you're <laughs> earning the main income, it's not cheap. Um, right. And then um, the gas prices have been hard. We actually had to um, uh, 
institute a, a fuel sur surcharge for our, each of our deliveries, um, which we were really lucky. Our, our customers were happy to um, to pay that. We didn't get any pushback really, um, but but we did have to think about that with our bottom line of, of wow, fuel is expensive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hopefully, um, you know, some of these things will get resolved. But yeah, the, the affordability of land is definitely an issue that I think we all need to keep an eye on. Um, yeah. But I but I'm really excited for your your new your new location. So are you going to have two or are you fully moving to the yeah, new so, place? So actually, so our creamery is staying where it is. That's where we have um, the, where we make the cheese. Um, but right now we've been renting warehouse space uh, where uh, Go and Miso, it's a Miso company in our, in our town. So we rent their warehouse space to do all of our Milk Mavens orders. So we're going to build our own little warehousey thing in, in the basement of the new place. And then we have a 72 acre farm where we'll have the herd of, of animals. Uh, so we're going to have the animals be on a different location than the cheese making. And then the warehouse will be on the farm. Well, I want to thank you so much for um, really illustrating, you know, illustrating what's happening in Maine. Painting such a really great picture of um, the Maine uh, cheese economy <laughs> and uh, just everything that's going on there. I think there's so many lessons uh, to be learned and, um, and good luck. Good luck with the horse race. Thank you. <laughs> Which I definitely want to know more about. <laughs> and um, and with all of the um, new opportunities coming to you as you continue your cheese making journey with Fuzzy, Fuzzy Utter Creamery. And, um, and here's to the growth of the main milk mavens as well. And um, everybody, thank you so much for joining us on Cutting the Curd. You can learn more about uh, Fuzzy Utter Creamery. What's your um, website? Oh, it's just fuzzyutter.com. There you go. And definitely, you know, next next summer or next September, people should go check out the Maine Cheese Festival. <laughs> it's a new new hot destination. We yes. need to all go to Maine. Come visit and, us. <laughs> we'll all come visit. And, um, and of course, uh, you can always... All of you listen to episodes of Cutting the Curd wherever you, um, you know, you're listening right now. So whatever, whatever platform you're listening on, spread the word and support us and visit us on Instagram. And we will see you all back here for another episode soon. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.